HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, we explore the relationship between food and style. I knew from the start that I never wanted to, like, hot glue bread onto my body. <laughs> like, I wanted to be able to enjoy it after, and I did. Food, which is so ephemeral, right? It's something that you eat and it disappears. With an image, it remains. It stays alive forever. Food and fashion align in that they're both lenses through which to look at culture, right? And they're both also tangible things we can use to express ourselves and our identities. Tune in to Meet in 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 150 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I hope they are all listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today we have, I'm going to, I repeat myself every week. I am so excited to talk to this guest. It is really a fantastic company. I say that all the time, but, you know, it's true. We do have a lot of great guests with a lot of really interesting food tech platforms. And this one is notable, um, not just because it is a digital online platform reaching lots of people around the world, similar to Heritage Radio, but it's for kids. And kids is something, uh, the kids' point of view, tech for kids, food for kids, something we try and talk about every now and again on this show. But it's kind of hard to wrangle little kids to come on the show, even now, um, especially now that we are recording this remote via Zencaster, and I cannot entice people into the Heritage Radio Network studio with the promise of Roberta's pizza, which always seems to work. I have yet to meet anyone who says no to pizza. Today we are talking with Sarah Thomas, who is co-founder and chief imaginator of Kalamata's Kitchen. And Kalamata is a little girl, and she has a friend named Al Dente, who is an alligator. And the two of them essentially travel the world and have food adventures. And on the surface, you might think that this is a great um, way to teach your kids to cook, and it could be that. But Kalamata's Kitchen is actually something a little bit different. It's almost the same idea of what adults do when we watch things like Mind of a Chef or we watch No Reservations or Tony Bourdain or 
any of our favorite personalities as they travel the world, Stanley Tucci. And we meet and explore and learn about people and cultures through food. And this is kind of the kids' version of that, which is um, actually perfect timing for the place the world is in today. So, Sarah, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for having me. Pizza or no pizza, I'm very happy to be here. (laughs) Well, there are uh, rumors of studio reopenings perhaps in the future at some point down the road. So we may be able to have a um, in real life event at some point in the future that involves pizza. Well, that sounds delightful. (laughs) Yes. Um, So you started Kalamata's Kitchen with your partner, Derek Wallace, um, not your, with your business partner and not your life partner. Yes. Um, Yes. And he's a dad. And you started this back in 2016 with the idea of um, bringing other cultures and peoples to uh, a child's audience, a child's world, um, using food as that vehicle. And in 2016, that was a great idea. And you got audience and some interest and traction and started building. But taking us through, you know, 2020, when families were at home with their kids, they're looking online for things to do, and maybe also having some unexpected, challenging, difficult conversations about what's happening in the world and what's happening in the news in terms of culture issues and racism and things like that. It almost seems like Kalamata's Kitchen is really perfect for this moment in time. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I mean, when we started this, um, this site, you know, when Derek had the idea, he was really thinking of a way to really get his son, Henry, um, to love the things that Derek loved. Um, Derek is, uh, and myself, this YBB became friends, we're great lovers of food and bars and ex- like exper- real experiences um, around food and, ex- and, you know, really experiencing culture and the world through food. And, you know, Derek said, there must be, there must be something out there that connects children uh, from their a child's perspective to all of the things that I love. And he looked around and most of the things that he found were about kids and cooking. And, you know, his idea was, what if we could create a, the character that connects kids through food, to, through not through cooking, but through trying, just by trying new things. And so, you know, he had this, this great concept and he always saw the big picture, like the real opportunity for it was just staring at him in the face from, from the second he came up with it. And um, soon after coming up with that idea, he called me um, at the time I was working at Le Bernardin. I was a sommelier. My background was in literature, um, but I also lo- loved working with children. And, and Derek knew all of this. And he sort of threaded the needle for me and said, could you, do you think you could help bring this world to life? And as a child who had grown up um, really experiencing the world through food. My parents are South Indian immigrants. I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. There were lots of lots of things that I experienced that um, were great and some not so great in that part of the world um, through my food and my culture. I, I thought, what an amazing opportunity to be able to share some of what had been so special in my own life and also really an opportunity to, to ex- for exposure um, for kids who didn't necessarily have that. And so we started really building... Um, and, you know, we always had this mission to do good, to put good energy into the world, to to talk about the ways that, um, 
to, that we could teach children that different is delicious, um, to, to take away the barriers of fear. And, you know, as you said, we, we started that way. We always had that mission to, you know, to create more curious, courageous, compassionate children through food. Um, you know, we kickstarted, we started with a Kickstarter in 2018. We self-published three books. Um, that momentum, you know, as, as you mentioned, really built uh, a really loyal, uh, lovely fan base. Um, we took that to a production deal with Imagine Entertainment and Penguin Random House in 2019. And, you know, we had all these plans in 2020 for in-person events and a 12-city tour. And, you know, we were just growing and growing and building and building and pandemic happens. Um, and, you know, as so many people did, we had to just, we had to just reimagine, you know, we had to just say, okay, how do we take this momentum, this excitement, um, you know, all of the energy that we've been building and how do we continue to create meaningful consumer experiences just in a different venue? How do we do it in people's homes? Um, and so, you know, we started trying to, we really started out of necessity because we had, been scheduled to speak at South by Southwest. We had a 15 minute time slot where we were going to talk about um, the ways uh, food can create a more compassionate world. Uh, and, you know, we were going to intro Kalamata's Kitchen. We were going to talk about our mission. And immediately what we decided to do was since we were scheduled for 15 minutes there, um, let's do 15 days of uh, digital give back. So we did um, a give 15, 15 days of um, just, you know, straight donations to places like the Lee Initiative um, and to, at the time, the Restaurant Workers Relief Foundation. We did surprise and delight things where we were supporting our restaurant communities by just buying um, lots of food for when families would show up. They would just get stuff for free that we'd already purchased. Um, we hired some, you know, recently out of work uh, restaurant uh, workers to do to document um, in through art and photography and writing um, the ways that they were experiencing the pandemic. And we started to reimagine what events could look like in a digital world. Well, that's that's quite a that's quite a run from 2016 all the way up to 2020. <laughs> yes. um, but I'd love to go back and just unpack one of the initial ideas before we sort of roll into, um, you know, all of the the different things now. Just you know, with the with the premise of the idea of creating a platform for kids about trying things. I mean, historically, actually, in life. Kids are notorious for not wanting to try anything. And is it based in actually they don't want to try anything or is it based in that it's just a little bit of a power play where, you know, what they eat and what they don't want to eat is one of the small battlegrounds that kids can occasionally win? Um, did it seem like an easy thing to do to get kids to try stuff? I mean, that seems to be exactly the opposite of the way most <laughs> kids and families function. You know, we hear a lot about picky eaters um, and, you know, there's a lot of people that want to talk about picky eaters. And one of the things that we posit is that it's, it we, you know, there's lots of reasons why a kid might not want to try something. But if the, re if the reason that your kid doesn't want to try a particular thing is the fear of the unfamiliar, we think we can help with that. Because, um, you know, when you take something from, from a kid's perspective, um, which is what we're doing through this character, it makes it less didactic, right? We're not, it's not an adult saying you should do this. It's your friend Kalamata and her pal Al Dente saying, I'm so excited that I did this. And then the kid having the idea to do it on their own. And so really the crux of all of that is really 
changing the perspective, changing the presentation of how you're actually trying to entice your child to try something new. Is it you saying you should do this or is it from their perspective, this is a pretty good idea because your your friend that you love did it too. Um, and so that's really, I think that's the difference. It's a change in presentation. There, there's We're not promising to cure, you know, anything, <laughs> but you could use this as a tool, this flip in perspective. And we wonder, we see it, at, we used to see it, um, you know, when we could do our tasting events, we'd see it all the time where it would be parents who would come to our events where, which were very fun. We would uh, give every child a VIP badge and a food adventure passport. Um, and we'd set up in a food hall and we'd have all these vendors who were participating with us and the kids would go around and they'd have their passports. And if they tried a bite, when we asked them to try everything twice, uh, they tried everything um, on their passport. They get a stamp. If they finish their passports, they get a prize. Um, the whole way through, there's all these like fun little illustrations and, 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 and Calmat and El Dente are the ones kind of like encouraging them to do these things. And their parents are the ones who will say, yeah, no, you know, he only eats beige food and she doesn't do spicy. And, you know, the list of things that they think their child will or won't eat is pretty long, typically. Um and then we'll be like, oh, cool, which one's your kid? And, you know, turn around and it's a little boy is in the corner chugging beet juice or a little girl's going back for seconds of smoked trout dip or a spicy chorizo bite or something. And it's like, it's because we let the kid think it was, it's their idea to do it. They're way more inclined to do it. And we've seen parents' jaws just drop. They're like, how did you do that? And how do we continue to do this at home? <laughs> do parents have to have the same sort of um, openness and desire to travel and explore new things and I mean even if it even if it's not actual physical travel but the idea of trying new cultures and new things do do parents have to be willing to step out of their comfort zone as well or just give kids the opportunity to do that I, I think the answer is yes. I think that um, parents definitely have to be open-minded about this. And I think grownups can really use a nudge every now and then to remind themselves to get out of their own preconceptions and to get out of their own habits. I mean, we've had a lifetime to build up our likes and dislikes. And every now and then, I think it's helpful to be reminded that, oh, maybe I should revisit that. Maybe I just had a bad experience. And if parents are willing to say, you know what, I want to try this with my kids, we think there's a real opportunity for bonding. How, how nice for the kid to see also that a parent is making themselves vulnerable and like participating in this adventure with them versus them just feeling like they're being forced into trying something because it's what their parents want. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a really nice way for the whole family to do things together. And I have to say, after years of working in hospitality um, and service, it's a lot harder now and, and years now of working with Kalamata's Kitchen, it's way harder to convince an adult to try something mm -hmm. new than it is to convince a kid. Truly. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm thinking right now about people that I know and friends that I have and being in restaurants with them who simply won't eat certain things or don't want to eat certain things and, and maybe won't even try a certain category of food just because it seems, you know, unappetizing or unappealing from one point of view or another. So it's, I mean, it's an interesting idea. It's also a very, very heavy lift to be, um, you know, putting out the idea that through a really fun, cute, you know, little girl and her and her alligator friend, you can teach kids empathy and inclusiveness and, and community and things like that. It's a pretty, I mean, I think it's a pretty uh, audacious goal in some <laughs> respects, um, just because those are challenging things to teach anyone just generally. Yes. At what point did you develop the Taste Bud Pledge? Tell us about that. It's such an interesting idea. 
um, the taste bud pledge to have kids agree to, you know, uh, I believe it's a promise to keep their minds open, the fork ready, which is great, but then also to try new foods and then to share, to share yes. what's on their plate when people don't have enough. Yes. So, I mean, that's a pretty, again, those are pretty um, grown up ideas, I think, to a certain extent. And they're also, you know, not necessarily you know, evident as to how you, you teach somebody those kinds of things. Um, I, you know, it's, they, the, that taste bud pledge we developed really early on, and it was really an exercise for us when we were trying to define our brand values and, you know, what we would want. Um, you know, Derek always put it as like, what are the things that, you know, we'd want our own children? What are the things that you'd want people to say about your own children? What do you want them, the kind of people that you want them to be? And, and we had a, a list of values and we really, you know, we kind of tried to zero in on what we felt you know, how Kalamata, the ones that would represent Kalamata and El Dente and their adventures in the world together. And we, we settled on um, curiosity, courage, and compassion. And, you know, when, as we were, you know, talking through it and talking about the ways that we could bring it to life, the pledge, we had a brilliant copywriter working for us at the time, and she was listening to all of our notes and listening to us talk about this and talk about the values. And it came very organically. Like she wrote it and sent it to us and she was like, do you think this is it? And we were like, this is brilliant. Um, Because it does so perfectly encapsulate um, what Kalmata and El Dente are trying to do in the world. They are trying and, and what we are trying to do through them, which is to encourage people, kids and their families, to be curious, to have to want, you you know, and one thing that came up a lot last year, um, you know, particularly in, you know, in terms of kind of racial reckoning and a lot of more conversations in, the, in this country about that were, was you have to want to listen to the stories of people whose lives aren't like your own. And that was, and curiosity about the world is something that we would want everyone would say, I would love to be, I consider myself a curious person. I want my child to be a curious person. So that was really critical for us. The second part of that is that we try to empower kids to have the courage to actually explore that curiosity, explore those urges. So what will encourage a kid to say, I'm really curious about this and I want to take action on it. I want to try something new. Um, I want to have this new experience. And then the compassion part is really, was really key too, because we feel that in listening and empathizing itself is a compassionate thing, but empathy is actionable. Um, and compassion is this, you know, this idea that to share what you've learned, to want to share what you've learned, and to also really celebrate what makes you, maybe your own culture, unique, want to share that with other people, want them to share with you. That's what we want to build into Kalamata's world, into her ethos, and what we want her to share with kids. Um, and so that all came from just a really genuine desire to make sure our values were not only translatable to the grownups who would be helping us implement these things at home, but to kids to really feel that. And when kids take the pledge, you can see them. We ask them to take the pledge as one of the events at our, at our um, or one of the, you know, the activities at our events. And you can really see them feel proud um, that they're doing this thing that makes them part of, you know, Kalamata's little club and that they've, they've accomplished something and they want to share it with other people because they're proud of themselves. It's such an interesting idea. Um, and you. so simple. And on the one hand, very simple, but on the other hand, just, you know, so, um, you know, sort of lofty, lofty goals of the best things that we wish for not just ourselves, but for our, you know, society and culture. Did you see a difference in how people, parents, kids were engaging with the Kalamata's Kitchen platform from 2019 going into 2020? 
Was there a difference in people's reaction, how they interacted, the response, the desire, um, as we started going into the pandemic when everyone was at home, but then also going into last summer with all of the um, racial justice and discrimination and all of the protesting that was happening, um, you know, and given the circumstances of the world, probably very, very visible to most kids. Yes, I think so. And I think, you know, what happened as, you know, as, as I said before, we always had the same mission from day one and like people would hear it and they'd say, that's a great idea. Um, and you know, we did, we did have our, our kind of like small loyal fan base because of that. And then, you know, post, um, you know, in 2020, really people, I think started looking at it and going, this, this is a great idea and we need it. Um, I think they started seeing the necessity and I think people were, um, parents in particular were looking for ways to talk to their kids about race, about discrimination, about exposure, about, you know, and seeing the importance of things like diversifying their children's bookshelves and really like, like wanting to find those resources. And we did our best to make ourselves a resource. We had, you know, anti-racist book lists for parents and for kids. We had activities for people to, prior to that, we had, um, you know, activities for people to do in the home. And I think, I think what happened was that people really started looking more um, for companies and, and uh, who were creating, you know, things that they could use as tools and resources to interact with their children at home. Um, and then we did that through the activities. And then also, in addition to that, to talk to them about things that they may not have had to think about before um, or didn't know how to talk about with their kids before. And we, we really just tried to be a resource. And so, yes, I think the, the fact that more people were looking for that did, excuse me, did raise our platform. Um, you know, one of the, we had always, you know, we'd been uh, working on multiple partnerships at that time. And, and um, you know, for example, our, with our passport or passports, which were kind of in-person things, we pivoted them to digital free activity downloads for people to do at home. And we did that with Chobani as a partner because they were also looking for a way to really um, change. They had a, they had an event heavy year planned as well. And we had been talking to them and they said, okay, well, this is a really unique perspective that we haven't been able to, we haven't done ourselves can we work with you on, you know, getting this out to as many kids as possible because kids and families need this right now. So as soon as they identified that need, that's when we started doing these, the free digital activities. And that's just one example of, of how I think, you know, it changed really from a, a nice idea to a need um, very, very quickly for a lot of people. The Chiobani, notably, um, actually the Chiobani um, activity was one of the ones I was going to mention because there's a future food founder like yes. activity kit, which is absolutely adorable about how Thank to, you. you know, it sort of walks you through um, the business, you know, products, signature items, make your pitch, all of that, you know, for kids. And that's uh, so great because that's, you know, we deal with so many um, food founders here on this show. It's fun to think about um, a kid imagining uh, a, a project and a, and a product to put into the world. Oh, it was so fun. And kids, they come up with just amazing things. Yeah. And probably, you know, I mean, they could, you could probably put some of them onto a real pitch, onto a real pitch show. Totally. You know, because I mean, I mean, you see kids on, you know, uh, Shark Tank and most of the time they're pretty good and often better than the, um, adults actually <laughs> it's true well there, there's so there's so much less fear right of mm -hmm. like of mm -hmm. it, it's like it, it's incredible because again those are just examples of when like people let kids act on their own ideas and like say this is your idea go go do it it's successful there we see it all the time and it's really not so different from what we're saying through food is like let this let the kid 
you know, let it be their idea to go on this food adventure and see what happens. Because a lot of times they're more open to trying things um, when you frame it as that kind of adventure um, and it's, it's on you to take it than they are if you're, they're told something. I think everybody's like that. Everybody yeah. likes to think it was their idea. Totally. Totally. My idea was to create Tech Bites back in 2015. What a great idea. Yeah. On Heritage Radio Network is fantastic. And um, it's a fantastic platform. And the show is supported by the platform, our listeners, our members, and lots of underwriters also, like this one, who is sponsoring the show. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we talk to influencers and innovators in the food tech space. And today we are talking with Sarah Thomas, co-founder and chief imaginator of Kalamata's Kitchen. If you want to take a look at the platform, take a look at all the great um, content, blog posts, downloadable activities for kids, um, information about their upcoming book, Swag You Can Buy. You want to check out kalamataskitchen.com. That's K-A-L-A-M-A-T-A-S, kitchen, Kalamata like the olive. You can follow them on social media at Kalamata's Kitchen. Um, They are getting ready to publish a book later in July. Um, I believe it's their fourth book. And it is following the adventures of this like really adorable curly-haired girl with her alligator friend, Al Dente. And... You're putting a book out into real life, which is great, sort of moving off the digital, getting something into people's hands that's tactile. Is the book something that was on um, your roadmap anyway? Is the book something new that came up over the course of last year when people really realized a greater sense of urgency about the importance about teaching kids about different cultures and people it, well, actually, the book was how we 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 knew that we would make kids fall in love with the character. Um, you know, kids learn through stories, kids learn through narrative, and so 
when we started, we started with, um, we started with storybooks. We knew that uh, this was going to be the best way to really take sweep kids off um, into this imaginative land of ex- exploration and culture and adventure through food. Um, and again, it's it's all, it's it was about, you know, making sure that the lessons and the stories were being told from a child perspective. Um, and when you look out in the food world, the only characters that you often, you know, especially when we started that you'd, you'd see um, were characters that were on, like cereal boxes and what are they teaching you? Um, and so, yeah, we always, we, we started with the book knowing that we always imagined it being a show and, you know, products and, you know, everything else you can imagine. Um, so this, the, the first three we did, uh, we self-published and this book that's coming out on July 20th, which you can pre-order now on our website, um, is with Penguin Random House. And it's the first in a series we're basically relaunching the series. It is a new story, but we're relaunching. This is going to be book one in the new series of Calamata's Kitchen. So you were already on track to do a lot of these things, um, having started in 2016. Did the year 2020 change any of your plans? Did it accelerate your timeline because suddenly so many more people were really voraciously looking for this kind of information for their kids, for their family to share? Um, Did it just accelerate things? Did you um, add anything new or readjust in any way given, given the state of the world? Yeah, it did accelerate things a little bit. I mean, we already had our deals in place in 2019 for, um, you know, our partnership with Imagine Entertainment um, to develop an animated series and um, our our multi-book deal with Penguin Random House. Um, But yes, our timelines did get moved up. Um, I think people said, well, we need this now. um, And how do we make it, you know, how do we get it to market as soon as possible? Um, So that was great. And and as far as, you know, new things, we, we had a really big sort of you know, experience uh, ecosystem centered around Kalamata that we, we we had a lot of ideas that we always wanted to do. We had time to really build out how we were going to do them. And so, for example, like changing the the, the framework of our events, um, you know, replatforming our Taste Bud Travel Guide, which is a whole uh, digital platform, um, really kind of t- trying to redefine family-friendly uh, dining for people who want unique food experiences with their kids, don't want to end up in a Denny's every time they, you know, have to they have to think about eating with their kids out. Um, and so, you know, yes to acceleration. And as far as new, I mean, we really just, we are, we're always open to collaborating and working with new people. And so because of the, I think, new attention and, you know, the fact that people really wanted, really needed, you know, really wanted Kalamata and El Dente in their lives, we were able to do a lot more, um, you know, kind of partnerships with chefs, for example, telling a lot of stories, um, you know, working with a lot of restaurants to figure out how we can help them reopen, um, you know, and, and, and take their message to a family-friendly audience. Um, so yes, things like that were, were new and are very exciting and are still ongoing. Well, in New York City is very urban, um, and uh, we're, we're used to seeing kids in a lot of places that maybe you wouldn't see them in other parts of the country or other parts of the world. We see kids all the time in museums and at the theater and in restaurants, um, you know, at night and, and things like that, fancy restaurants sometimes, um, you know, even really, really, you know, high-end three-star Michelin places, you see kids sometimes. Um, and maybe we're just used to that. But the idea of, um, you know, the Taste Bud Travel Guide, what, what, what is your definition of family-friendly restaurant? Well, we just think that you have to provide a unique 
food experience. Um, so you have to have like, you know, great food, great experience, great atmosphere. Um, but that's and not also, exclusive to family though, is it? I mean, right, I'm kind of looking this, for great food, unique food experience, great service. Yes. And the second part of adult. that, <laughs> yes, the second part of that is that they have to treat the children as the VIPs as well. So you go in and are the, you know, as the host, as the server, or is, are they going to talk to your child the same way that they talk to you? Or are they going to be as welcoming? Um, you can see sometimes when you walk in with a child, there are places where they're not happy to see you. And, um, but then there are so many more places that I think parents would assume that the, the restaurant's not going to be happy to see them show up with a, with a, with a child. And the fact is restaurants, there are many restaurants who provide these incredible unique food experiences that have that perception and the chef and the owners saying, no, we would love to see more families here. We would bring our family here. We would eat at this restaurant that a lot of people would assume that they can't take their kids to with our kids. So that's what we're trying to create with the Taste Bud Travel Guide is a list of curated um, family-friendly destinations where the kid and the adult are getting those unique food experiences. And the kid is not being treated as an add-on. We want we want these experiences to be shared experiences. And so it sounds like it's restaurants self-identifying as, yes, we are family-friendly. Yeah, we have, con- you know, I, I have been lucky enough to meet a lot of extraordinary people in the food industry in my 10 years in the industry. And so we have a lot of personal connections that we've really only built from, from that. And um, there are people who then reach out to us and say, you know, how do we, how do we become a part of this? We love what you're doing. We love when kids come in. And there's, there's places that you would not, you know, we're talking to chefs and they're saying we want them to come here, um, which is the extraordinary part of it. Because again, I think a lot of parents would assume that there are say, certain, say, like James Beard award-winning restaurants, that they would see that and they'd go, oh, that seems like nice. Maybe we'll plan that for a date night for ourselves and do that by all means. But if you want to go there with your kids, we're giving you a list of places where they say, yeah, bring them here. Well, certainly over the course of 2020 with the pandemic and the idea of not socializing beyond what you defined as your pod or your you know immediate intimate group of people, many of those pods were families. And then once people were starting to venture back out into the world, you know, people going to dinner, you know, I, I think there were many more families with children out in restaurants all the time over the course of last year than there might have been in the past, simply because of, you know, sort of the change in, in what's expected and, and what's available and how we, you know, go out and interact in the world. Did you see a difference in terms of how restaurants think about having families come in? Did you have um, people say, you know what, we're, we're not going to do this, or we're interested in doing this? Has there been a change, or is it essentially the same, the same people who were embracing and wanting you know, family, diners, um, is the same group then as it is now? I think the attitude of the, the restaurants was always was, was pretty unchanged in terms of like just being creating welcoming experiences for families. That's something, that's just hospitality for a lot of these people. It's just built into who they are. We were just helping them reach an audience who may not have known that. And so in a, in terms of change, I mean, I think the bigger change was in a lot of places that didn't formally do or have like robust takeaway programs or takeout programs. Um, you know, the way they'd pivot to do, say, family-style meals versus plated things and, you know, things like that I saw change. But I think the central core of hospitality in terms of restaurants welcoming families was was the same. The people who were excited about it before were still excited about it. And were, in fact, excited about, you know, coming up with, you know, sort of unique ways that they could do it. Um, 
and and so I think that 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 kind of take home part of it was a big was a, the biggest challenge and change I think for a lot of our for a lot of our um, partners. It's probably still an ongoing change as we you yeah. know move into the future. I don't know that anybody really knows what the future exactly looks like when it comes to restaurants and going out and eating and traveling and all those kinds of things. But at Kalamata's Kitchen, what is your um, what does your game plan look like between now and the end of the year and and the next the next year? Are you planning on continuing to build a really robust digital platform? Do you think that there's going to be a continued need for things that are virtual? Are you going to be transitioning back into mostly in real life events and activities? Do you are is virtual here to stay or do you think it's going to pedal down and real life pedals back up to where it was before? You know, it's interesting. I think we are, what we have figured out about ourselves is that we're a very adaptive group. Um, and so we'll continue to be assessing, you know, the demand for digital events, digital experiences. I We don't, you know, the, the Taste Bud Travel Guide is a huge part of our brand and we are only going to be ramping up on that. Um, we will, as far as, you know, I, I think the activity, we'll always continue to provide, you know, meaningful activities for people to do at home with their families to, you know, we'll, we're, we'll always be coming up with new ways that will be accessible through our website. So in terms of building, um, you know, kind of on our existing digital platforms, the answer is definitely yes. Um, we're going to continue to build and grow that. Um, in terms of events, we love our in-person events. We just love them. Um, you know, we don't, we don't know exactly when we can start doing them to the scale that we were doing them before. But in the meantime, you know, as we transition back into that, we're going to continue, you know, a lot of the book tour is going to be virtual, for example. And while, you know, what one of the main components of our in-person events is trying new foods and in a digital world that prevents, you know, that's, that's slightly more complicated to do. There are still ways that we're, you know, we're trying to make these digital uh, book readings and things more, you know, still really special and really unique, whether it's like little gifts and, and surprises, or, you know, we're, we have something called the, I tried it dance. And, you know, I, when we do zoom readings, uh, I'm going to try and get the kids to do an, I tried it dance with me. We'll have on that little zoom dance party. Um, you know, there's, there's things we can do. Um, but we certainly are very excited to get back to doing our in-person events as well. It'll be interesting to see when all those things start to happen and, and, and come back to life. Definitely, you know, we've done a few shows um, over the course of this year on virtual events, both featuring some virtual events. Um, we did an episode with Bollywood Kitchen, which is an interactive dinner theater event that happens um, live from someone's apartment in New York City. And it's a great story. Um, similar um, story of a first-generation Indian man who grew up in Pennsylvania and about the food that he loved and grew up eating and sort of translating that out to the rest of the world. And it comes, you know, you can get a package of ingredients and cook along with it or, you know, cook ahead or, you know, all those types of things. And it's really interesting. I do think that um, the creativity that has come with creating some of these virtual events and the digital events platforms, media, um, is something really extraordinary, um, even, you know, in spite of, you know, all the tragedies surrounding the pandemic, there is a perhaps silver lining or flip side, which is this just tremendous creativity. And I do think that people, you know, it resonates with a lot of people. And there's also just the convenience factor of 
being able to experience something like dinner theater in your home and not have to spend an hour on the front end or an hour on the back end going, getting there, navigating traffic, parking, you know, all those types of things. So I, I think even just from the convenience factor and, you know, that's exponentially so with people who have kids who are hustling kids into the transportation to get them to where they're going and, and all those types of things that probably um, hybrid experiences is would be my guess as to where we're going for the future. Yeah, I think, you know, just to say I, I have been I'm so inspired by um, the, you know, in this in a very difficult year, in a very difficult time, um, very challenging for so many people for many different reasons. The innovation and creativity that came out of it, as you said, was was just incredible to watch. And I think it's really like supercharged a lot of people to like continue to innovate in a space that like is is really massively helpful and can be you know we're we're using digital platforms in a way to reach audiences that like we couldn't we just you can't do necessarily if you're doing all in-person events which of course we love again love to do but it's really you know it's offered us an opportunity to reach so many more kids um you know I'm, I'm gonna be able to do a book reading and an event in in Seattle the same day I'm doing one in Portland, Maine because of this. And that's really extraordinary. And our goal is to get Calmat and El Dente and the Taste Bud Pledge into as many homes as possible. And this is just, it's really allowed us this opportunity to to innovate, to be creative um, and to change. Is Calamata going to be traveling internationally at all this year? Are you um, primarily people logging on in the U.S. or is there an international audience? Are you going to translate into different languages? Do you have plans to get her a passport and have her start traveling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's all there's, there's the sky's the limit in terms of, uh, especially in the digital world. I mean, that has yes. been one of the big things that everyone has said over and over, um, from local restaurants to, you know, global brands to, you know, theater and, and other arts that the digital platform really allows for such an expansive audience and an opportunity to reach so many more people beyond what you would get you know, in a local event at your local spot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, this next story that's um, coming out uh, July 20th is is about, it's really one of my own childhood memories. Um, it's out, uh, Kalamata is experiencing her mother cooking South Indian dal in her kitchen and she's transported by these smells. And so I think this story will, you know, resonate for a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. But I know for a fact, because I've already had a little bit of coverage in India and like particularly in my parents' home state of Kerala, um, that people are really excited to see books like this that represent you know, stories that are very familiar to them and they're, they, they haven't seen represented for kids before. And so, yes, I think there's there, and that's just, you know, just for the story, but I think, um, you know, the reach that Kalamata can go anywhere and she plans to go everywhere. Um, and so I think a lot of people will have personal, um, you know, very joyful reactions to it when they see themselves represented and their own stories and their experience represented. And I just think it's going to open the doors um, for so many other people to also experience that as well. Well, it's it's really charming and um, it'll be great to see how it evolves. And again, I mean, it's it's really perfect timing um, to be presenting these ideas to kids in a way that is um, really easy, uh, easy, you know, food related, but it, it's actually, it's it's not really about the food. It's about using food as the vehicle into these other things. And I mean, 
lots of adults probably need it too. I mean, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be. Uh, is is Kalamata going to have like an older uh, sibling or cousin, perhaps that might be talking to the adults and having them um, perhaps make a taste bud pledge as well? <laughs> I mean, I think grownups should just listen to Kalamata and Al Dente and take the taste bud <laughs> pledge. I think I think this is a shared experience, mm-hmm. and they could use it. Yeah. Um, well, it's really wonderful. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. My guess is that you probably just need to keep up with everything as it evolves, just because um, so much is happening right now. And probably the demand and the activities and things like that, the accelerated pace um, of what's happening because of the pandemic and the different issues that, you know, are front and center and very present now. Um I would guess that just kind of keeping pace is probably one of the biggest challenges. Yeah, but you know, it's very, very exciting. And in a strange way, it reminds me of being like very in the weeds in service mm-hmm. at, in, a, in a three mission star restaurant um, when you can't like show any fear and like you have 25 million things to do and like 30 seconds to accomplish it. And you go, okay, here's how I'm going to do it. Like I loved that rush of like figuring that out, like making that little roadmap for myself, like moment to moment on the restaurant floor. And in a strange way, like, you know, it's, it's not as, it's not as quite as chaotic, I would say, or, but like, it's, it's exciting. It's still like, I'm learning something new every day. There's stuff I just, you know, never knew that I'd have to learn about. And here we are, um, learning about packaging and, you know, all kinds of things about (laughs) marketing and, um, but it's so it's so exciting, and I know I speak for my whole team when I say it's the best work any of us have ever done, and we just we're so excited to do it every day, and we don't want to stop doing it. Um, and I thank you for saying that you're excited to see you know where we go. Me too, <laughs> me too. <laughs> well, it's also so. I mean, you know, it's so sim- I mean, it's one of those things where it is so simple. Um, it's it's almost surprising that it's not out there more or that more, more businesses or companies or things aren't, um, coming at it with a, with a similar point of view, you know, I mean, it's a very original character and, um, articulation of it. And it's a lot of fun and it's creative, but the idea of just like sharing with people who don't have and trying things, I mean, those are kind of universal and it's, um, it would be great to see more people, companies, platforms, you know, talking about those things. I couldn't agree with you more. Well, I want to thank Sarah Thomas, co-creator and chief imaginator of Kalamata's Kitchen, for calling in and joining me today. If you want to find Kalamata out in the world, head to kalamataskitchen.com or find them on social media at Kalamata's Kitchen. Um, Keep eyes out for that book coming out in July. Um, along with who knows, maybe at some point the world opens back up and there will be a live in-person event for you know people to go and try things. I want to thank Matt Patterson, the engineer of Tech Bytes. I want to thank DJ Uptown Nico, the person who created and gave us our theme song, Nomad a CPU Track. Heritage Radio Network, the amazing platform that we broadcast on, Simplecast, and all the other pieces of fancy technology, along with Zencaster, that allow us to record remotely and turn this into a podcast and bring it out into the world. I want to thank our sponsor for the episode, our members who help us keep the lights on and the mics hot. And I want to thank you, our listeners, because if we didn't have listeners, we didn't have people thinking about the stories that we share, spreading them around 
passing them along to people. Really, it would just be, we'd just be sitting in our apartments talking to each other. Thank you so much. (laughs) If you like the show, come back and see us next week. If you really love it, go to your favorite podcasting platform, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, subscribe, leave us an amazing five-star review. If you really can't live without it and you think these are important conversations to have and save for now and the future, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart and make a donation. Maybe give us what you spent on your last book. It'll help us keep the lights on and make more radio. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bytes. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter, Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.